Welcome to the podcast of Living Water Bible Fellowship. We are a church in Alamosa, Colorado, and here you can find our sermons and other occasional teachings. We hope and pray that this podcast encourages you in your walk with Jesus and increases your understanding of God's Word and the Gospel. Through Jesus, anyone can have new life, can have freedom, and can have ultimate salvation. Stick around to the end of this podcast to learn more about what the gospel is and how to be saved. And now, on to our teaching. We continue our Sex and Sexuality sermon series today. Uh, The last few weeks, we've looked at God's purposes for sex and sexuality. What did He intend when He created it? What did He want from His people that He's made? How did, he, how did he intend these things would play out? Uh, last week, we talked about how not to be sexually, how not to live sexually in this world. And today, I want to move us towards this question about how do we raise kids? How do we raise kids to be godly sexually in a sexually ungodly world? Heavenly Father, we ask for your grace. We ask for your word. We ask for your truth. We ask that you would speak to us, Lord, and, and make us what you want us to be. Bring us into your will. Bring us into the, to be the people that you want us to be as parents, as a, as a church, as, as grandparents, as a community. And Lord, help us to raise kids to follow and obey you, to worship you, for you are worthy, Lord. Please bless the reading of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So when I talk about an ungodly world, uh, I'm not being uh, kind of snarky or or being kind of mean-spirited or I I really believe that we live in an ungodly, sexually ungodly world. Now part of that, of course, is the fall. Uh, Our our theology, our our Bible tells us that the world started good. In fact, when he created us as people, it was very good. Then sin came. And since that time, God's been trying, he's launched upon a plan of redemption, a plan to save the world, to save us, to bring us into his kingdom. And ultimately, one day, there'll be a glorification when the kingdom is present fully and we will be with our king forever. Uh, But in this time, in this season, we still live in a world that is fallen. And there's all kinds of behaviors, activities, uh, not just sexually, but uh, in all kinds of realms that are not what God would have. Uh, but I really think beyond just that, that general generalization of uh, ungodly sexuality in, in, this, in this world through the generations, even today, we live in a sexually ungodly society. And you might disagree with me on that. You might see it differently. You might think we're just fine. But uh, I think there's, there's a number of ways to describe this or define it or to um, think about it. Uh, when I think, when I call our God, our society ungodly sexually, I think what I what I just a way to summarize it is that our, our society has come to accept the things, sexual practices, sexual way way of thinking, that God that, that is against God's will, and not just to accept our, our society has not just accepted these things, but our society celebrates these things, and even encourages these behaviors. Even to the point now where things are being legislated 
to enshrine ungodliness, wickedness, unholiness in our nation. Behaviors and practices that God said was wrong. We are uh, being mandated to live by them in some situations. Uh, beyond that, uh, you look at the level of sexual violence in our culture. Sexual attacks, um, the, the rates of abuse, the rates of people um, damaged by a misplaced sexuality. Um, the hurts, the pains, the sufferings, the grief, the agonies, the, uh, the rupture of life that's come about because of evil sexuality, evil practices. Uh, the billions and billions of dollars that's spent on pornography every year. Uh, the, the, all the novels and all the movies and all, the, all the, the, the ways that sex is portrayed and the, way, the ways that sex is lived out in our, in our community, even in our community, <clears throat> far from God, far from God's will, far from God's heart, far from God's purposes. Uh, how did we get here? Uh, this nation started, we, you know, there, there's different debates about how it's, it's looked, how it came about, but uh, generally a bunch of immigrants that were theists that had a worldview that said God reigns. A bunch of people that came from different denominations and different backgrounds, different Christian heritages that came to our country and we want to be able to worship God. And in this union, this republic that came together, uh, this, this democracy came together, uh, built upon principles and foundations of, of God reigns. And this is God's world, and we want to live under His reign and His rule. We want to worship Him. How did, through the centuries, we come to this point in this place of such brokenness, such evil, such uh, um, rebellion? Please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. I, I want to move to the place of talking about how we should raise our kids or how we as a church should encourage discipleship and how we should as grandparents and great-grandparents and parents uh, teach our kids how to live godly lives. But I think we have to understand what's happening. Uh, Romans chapter 1 is part of a bigger argument and, uh, that the Apostle Paul makes about salvation and how salvation is, is found how we become, we become saved. Uh, Romans 1 talks about we as Gentiles. Uh, there was a day, a history, a time and place where uh, the Gentiles, all the people of the world, rebelled against God. Um, and we're, we're, held, we're held accountable for that. We're condemned, as it were. Romans chapter 2, it starts talking about the Jewish people, about how they're condemned. And Romans chapter 3, we get into this argument about how all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. We all need salvation from the outside. And then the gospel shared. Saved by grace, by faith in Christ, by trust in Him alone. The righteousness comes from God. But if you look at verse, verse 18, I, um, I'm, I'm going I'm to suggest to you that uh, this is happening now. That uh, when Apostle Paul wrote this, he was describing a time in past, in history, maybe, maybe before Abraham's time. But the present tense uh, verbs, the present tense action of what's happening, I think we can describe what's happening in our world right now, in our society right now, by what's written here. Verse 18. 
For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For it can be known about God as plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and His divine nature, have clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Uh, do you understand that, that argument? That his, what he's saying there is that all the people of the world, um, they've suppressed the truth that God is. We have witness in creation every day. Every day creation speaks. God is. God made this. Look at how great God is, how glorious he is. The stars preach it. The sea animals preach it. The land animals preach it. Everything preaches that God is. And yet... Uh, um, humanity has suppressed the truth of that, rejected it, thrown it out, tossed it out. Verse 21, for although they knew God through natural revelation, there was a general knowledge of God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their few foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. So there's this digression, and again, this is, I think there's something here happening today that there's been this rejection of God. Uh, hundreds of years ago in America, the, the godly nature of our society, the worship of God, how that's devolved, how that's digressed, how that's moved further and further away from where we were as worshipers of Yahweh, worshipers of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, what's happened in our day and age, uh, especially the last 60, 70 years in America, there's been this rebellion, this rejection, this dishonoring of God. And it's resulted in certain things happening uh, to us especially. Talks about uh, futile thinking, foolish hearts, dark hearts. Uh, God is light. If we've got dark hearts, we're not in the light. Uh, we became fools. Uh, in the Old Testament, fools, if you read through the book of Proverbs, a fool is someone that's rejected God and rejected his ways. We became fools. And so Paul gives us this, this progression, starting in verse 23. Um, claiming to be wise, they became fools. In, in verse 23, uh, people of the world exchanged the glory of God, the immortal God, for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. See that there's an exchange there. God made us. We belong to God. He's the creator. We're the creature. But through history, way back when, and even to this day, uh, even though there's testimony every day of who God is in the natural world, we reject Him again and again and again. There's been this exchange. We're saying, instead of God, we're choosing what? Images resembling mortal man, birds and animals and creeping things. Idols. We've exchanged God for man-made idols. We've exchanged God for people that we worship. Or in our case today, we exchange God for sex, the sex God. I want to get to that in a little bit. Therefore, the consequence of that, if you look at verse 24, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And pause there again. There's been this exchange, God for idols, and we've worshipped idols. And so therefore, God gave us over. God abandoned us. Uh, I want to say, uh, is abandoning us today, our society today. 
is, is, is letting, not just letting natural consequences take hold, but is actively involved in our discipline, is actively involved in our punishment. The wrath of God, God's hatred of sin, is being poured out now. And, and how, what does it look like? Uh, God has given us up to the lust of our hearts, to impurity. And that's talking about sexual impurity. It's talking about uh, how we've gone outside of God's boundaries, that we've chosen, uh, for, for instance, all in the church even, the, uh, the, the mockery of marriage and the acceptance of divorce, the covenant of, of marriage is totally, in some cases, totally ignored these days. Uh, the, the sexual freedom we have, uh, so to speak, in our country, where it's just fine to sleep around, it's just fine to hook up, it's just fine to meet somebody and, and, and bed them immediately. It's just fine. Men and women sleeping together, uh, boyfriends and girlfriends uh, sleeping together, living together. Uh, God has given, given us up to that. I think there's an active judgment right now going on where, where instead of God restraining sin, He's giving us a push. And our society, our, society, our, our, our world, our, our people, good people, people you know, people in your families, people that you go to work with, good people in general, choosing to reject God, rebel against God, leave God, and God's giving them up to the way they want to live. And what happens if you're living outside of God's ways, if you're disobeying God or living in sin, one day there's going to be a judgment. So there's, there's this, 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 this rhythm that Paul gets into. We've exchanged the glory of God, the worship of God, to praise God for, for what? Um, for images and idols. And so God has given us up. And then in verse 25, a second round. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is the blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. And pause there again. So there's, there's this rhythm. It's almost the same thing. We've exchanged God. We've exchanged truth about God for a lie and, and a lie about us. That we, are, that we can do whatever we want. That we, we don't need to bow to God. Uh, we, we've rejected the idea that He's the Creator, then we're the creature. We've rejected the idea that He's Lord and we are servants. We've reject, rejected the idea that we are made in His image for His glory. We believe the lie that it's all about us. And uh, you live that way. Um, you walk that way. What does God do? In, in the ages past, Paul said, in the Gentile world, world, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. And the same, same thing, sexual immorality, ways of living, but greed, covetousness, you know, and all the things that are running down that path of stealing and theft and, and uh, pride and arrogance and hatreds. Uh, in, instead of restraining this world, he's allowed us to run down those paths of sin. He's given us a push in that direction, and the consequence is death. So there's this, this rhythm here we, we've exchanged. In, in other words, we've rejected God's ways, and we've gone our own way. And so God has given us up. He's abandoning us. He's, he's turning us loose to the consequences of our sin. 
That's a terrifying thing. It continues in, in the last half of verse 26. The third round, for their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. The men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving themselves a due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Natural relations is what God created back in Genesis. A male and a female made distinct, made in the image of God, equal in the eyes of God, but distinct, meant to come together as one in marriage. We've rebelled against that. We've said that's evil. We've said that's not right. We've said, no, it has to be my way. This is, I don't want to live that way. And so men and women back in Paul's day and before his day and men and women in these days are saying, I'm going to sleep with whoever I want, however I want, whenever I want. You can't put any boundaries on me. And so today we, just as we have in, in, in history, homosexual sex. Women and women, men and women, men. We've exchanged God's way for our way. Whatever pleasures me, whatever I desire, whatever I want, I will have. And what does God do with that? Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, verse 28, again, the rebellion against God, the rejection of God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. To a debased mind, to a corrupt mind, an unthinking mind, to do whatever they want. In all these things, God is being rejected. God's ways are being re rejected. God's truths are being rejected. And we're inserting our ways, our truths, our desires, our wants, just as it happened in ancient history, I think it's happening right now. And so we are seeing the present devolving of our country, the present breakdown of families, the collapse of families, breakdown of our society. Because we've rejected God, God is letting us go according to the inclinations of our heart, according to our desires and wants. And I think He's allowing it to happen so that we'll see, maybe before it's too late, the fruits of our unrighteousness, the fruits of our wickedness, the outcomes of sin, so that we'll repent and we'll turn back to Jesus Christ. We'll turn back to God's ways. We will uh, repent of the evil. He's allowing us to experience the consequences of our wickedness, the consequences of our choices, the consequences of our, of our evils, so that maybe when we hear the gospel, We'll see how far we fall and we'll, we'll be convicted of sin. We'll repent and turn back to Him. I think it's very important as, as, as a church that wants to raise kids in Christ, that wants to raise godly children to walk with God, that we understand uh, what's happening right now. The rejection of God, the rebellion against God, the hatred of God, and what's being, uh, if, you, if you go that way, what's going to happen and so your kids, our kids, our church kids, our, our church family kids, our, 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 our little ones are growing up in a society that right now is far from God. And there's going to be consequences. So we have to train them how to live in this world, how to live in this reality where God isn't central anymore, where we're not a Christian nation anymore, where we're not worshipers of God anymore. 
Please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 1, please. There's a number of ways to describe education and what it means in training. Uh, You're familiar with uh, Proverbs 22.6. Raise up a child in the way it should go, the way he should go, and when he's old, he shall not depart from it. Uh, great truth. Uh, it, it, proverbs are general statements of generally you do this and this will happen. And so there is this, this thing about this reality about teaching our kids, discipling our kids, training our kids. Uh, and, and I can't emphasize that enough as parents. If we aren't teaching our kids and training our kids how they should go, the world certainly will. If we don't, uh, we don't disciple our kids to what God's standards are and who God is, uh, what He wants, uh, someone else is going to teach them. Uh, nature abhors a vacuum. And so in the absence of us teaching our kids, in the absence of us training our kids, in the absence of us telling them the truth, there's going to be all kinds of other truths that rush in that our kids will be exposed to. And so we must absolutely be training our kids. But the idea, the truth is really also along with that, generally speaking, you raise your kids, you train your kids up to walk with God or to know truth, to how God operates in life and how to please God. Generally speaking, they will, they will take that in, but sometimes they won't. You could be the best teacher, you could be the best parent, you could have the best marriage, you could have the best house, and still sometimes kids will rebel because they have that volition, they have that decision that they have to make to follow God. And so we don't guilt, we don't shame parents where kids go off the rails. Uh, we can do everything right and still they might not walk with God. And that's where prayer comes in. That's where surrender comes in. That, that's where realizing these are God's kids and we are just stewarding them and so we train them, we teach them, we pray for them, we turn them over to God, we ask for God to bring them up. But what does that mean? How shall we bring them up? Chapter 5, verse 1 of Ephesians. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Pause there for a moment. <clears throat> Uh, we, uh, we see here this, this thing about identity. Um, beloved children, that, that's an identity statement. If you are in Christ, it means you are a beloved child of God. Uh, we need to talk about identity in our world today. Um, how the world has gone to defining identity by your sexuality, by your sexual orientation, by your gender declaration. But here we start with this idea that we have an identity as Christians. The first thing I want to say about raising kids, and this pertains to our mission as, as a church, is we have to share the gospel. Uh, sometimes when we do baby dedications up here, I always ask the parents, do you, do, you, do, you, do you vow to share the gospel with your kids? That's not just kind of rote stuff. Because I know a lot of parents, a lot of Christian parents don't. They, they, the, the, the kids are never told that they're sinners in need of salvation. 
You, you see your kids, my kids, your kids, our kids are born into sin. And they are uh, going to walk in sin. They're going to live sinful lives. They're going to make sinful choices, even if they're good kids. And they need to be forgiven of those sins. They need to be reconciled to God. They need to be justified in Jesus Christ. And so whatever we do, the starting place is always the gospel. The gospel that we proclaimed here at the Lord's table today. A body was broken, a life given away, blood poured out. To what? To atone for sins. To save sinners. And we worship Christ for that. We worship our, our Lord for that. That He would save sinners like us. That He would choose to call us to trust in Him for salvation. But He paid it all. His, 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 his punishment for our sin. Uh, the gospel is very clear. Uh, we need to teach our kids that. Um, are you doing that, parents? Are we doing that as a church? It's not just the parents that do that. Part of being a Christian is being part of a church where we're all very interested and very desirous to see that, that little kid, that little boy, that little girl come to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We start there. Uh, and so that might take years. That might take 20 years. That might take, when maybe when they're five years old, maybe they cognitively they can get the gospel. But it's going to take a long, long time. But in the meantime... Second thing that you really want to do in raising kids and we really want to accomplish as, as parents is to teach them about who they are. Because again, if we don't teach them who they are, the world is going to tell them what they think they are. Uh, so here we get this very important doctrine of we are, um, we are uh, the children of God. We are sons and daughters of God. When we come to Jesus Christ and we trust in Him, regenerated, but we're, we're born again, uh, but beyond that, we're adopted into His family. The, the language that, that is used so we'll understand that the adoption in the family of God, we're children of God. Now, when we talk about our identity, when it, what's, what's my identity? What, what, who am I? It's the way we talk about ourselves to ourselves. It's the way we, we, we define ourselves to ourselves. Who are you, Christian? You're a child of God. Who am I? I'm a child of God. And there's implications that, that are vast. All right? Because as you see here, our identity uh, calls us to live in certain ways. Our identity determines our direction. Our identity defines how we should live. The different ways you can say it. Uh, and so growing up, when your kids are in the house, you know, when your kids are little before they come to Christ, as you're teaching them to, to trust in Jesus and you're teaching them the gospel, you're also teaching them that, um, that they're, they've been made in the image of God. You go back to Genesis, and then God made you in His image. In other words, He's made, made you to be able to relate to Him, to, to, to have a relationship with Him, to know Him. But He's made you to reflect Him. Right? You're, you're, you've been made, and you've got to use kid language with them, but you've, you've been made to, uh, you, you, as God is moral, you've been made moral. As God is holy, you, you've been made with the capacity to be holy uh, and all these things. Like, you get back to Genesis as we did a few weeks ago, and we saw those, those words of like God saying, uh, you know, have dominion over the earth. Rule, that's a godly kind of a thing. Subdue the earth, bring out its, bring out its order and beauty, that, that's a godly kind of a thing. And so we've been made to be godly kind of a people. We're not divine, but we've been made with the capacity to reflect, to image, to the likeness of God. 
that, that is such a, in, in, in a defining way to look at our life. Um, in the world right now, nobody knows who they are. And so they're grasping at anything to say, who am I? They're looking for their tribe. They're looking on, on, on online things. And who am I? Uh, there used to be a time, perhaps, when uh, it was much more solid in our country. All the institutions, in many ways, have fallen away. So it used to be in our country, for instance, hey, I'm an American. And I got a lot of my identity out of being an American. I'm a soldier. I'm this or that. But the younger generation now, they, they don't look at America as good anymore. They, they don't want to say, I'm an American. That, that, that's, that institution of nation and state is no longer, most, for most kids, a part of their identity. Used to be we'd get our identity from family. I'm a Parkins. I'm a Martinez. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, wh whoever my family was. And, but with the breakdown of family, with the loss of institution of family as something that's viable and, and, and long-term sustaining or, and healthy, a lot of kids these days, they don't look at their, their family as their source of identity anymore. Used to be in our country, uh, church was part of our identity. And more importantly, our relationship with God was part of our identity. Really, uh, not anymore. Uh, the loss of sacred in our country has been devastating in so many ways. Even some people would say, I, I, I'm a Lutheran, I'm a Reformed, I'm, I'm a Baptist, I'm, I'm dispensational, whatever. And that's all fallen away. For the most part, there's pockets of people that identify themselves with God. I'm a child of God, but so much of that has been lost. And so we need to teach our kids who they are in Christ. If you look down in, in verse 8, uh, another identity statement. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Um, you saw in that last song that Johnny put up there, there's a lot of metaphors and images about the singing and God and, and these kind of things. There's all these metaphors and these images that, that Scripture uses to describe who we are. Instead of children of darkness, we're children of light because God is light. And because we come into relationship with Him, we come, we're associated with Jesus, we're united with Jesus, we're in Christ, we are children of light. These kind of things go so far with your kids in helping them understand who they are. Again, you have to, over years, explain these things till they get it to make sense. But their identity is super important. You teach them the gospel. You call them the faith in Christ. Then, then you teach them again and again about their identity. Who are you? Well, you're part of our family. We're part of this great country. But more importantly, you are in Jesus Christ. You are a child of God. You're a child of light and all the other metaphors, all the other pictures that describe who we are. And it's so important that these kids know who they are because you know what's happening now. Uh, we, uh, this last part of this is, uh, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. And we teach them how to love. <laughs> Not the warm, fuzzy, Disneyland, Hollywood kind of a love, but the love of Christ. We teach them how to model, to imitate God, which is immense. Uh, parents, you know, the, your little baby that you're rocking in your arms when they're, when they're six, you're still teaching them, follow God, be like Jesus, and all the different aspects of that. How did Jesus welcome children? How did Jesus, you know, treat his disciples? How did Jesus do business? How did Jesus, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. We, we, the teaching of, 
now that you're a disciple of Jesus, now that you've become a child of God, because of who you are, the family business, so to speak, the family trait, this is how you live. And how did Jesus live? He gave away his life. He loved with a, with a, a love that was uh, sacrificial. And so we teach our kids through various ways. I mean, all these things, there's all kinds of tools out there today. Uh, I, know, I know Bo and Jenna use, use a, a, a curriculum that's, that's very powerful for their family. There's other families that use different curriculums uh, that, that, that they, they can help them with their kids. You know, and, and, but man, we, we teach them who they are and then we, then we call them to love. And, and so this is, as parents, very important about, about our kids. Uh, are we teaching them to follow Jesus? Are we telling them what it looks like? Are we modeling for them what it means to imitate Jesus Christ? <laughs> and, if, and we'll get into that in a second. But, but you see here this flow. But how did we get to the point today where identity is associated with sexuality? I want to spend a few moments running down this path because any show you see, any movie you see, anything you read right now, um, the, the idea is this is who I am. And it's always always tied to sexuality now. Uh, my sexual orientation, this is who I am. Or my, my declaration of my gender, irregardless of my biological sex, this is who I am. How did this happen? You notice it's been very politicized lately. The last five or 10 or 15 years, sex has become political. Like uh, gay marriage, like uh, you know, curriculums in schools, like uh, sports, who can participate on a woman's team? A transgender woman, a man, can, she, can, can that guy participate in, in, in the sport or not? Uh, it's just never ending. Uh, unisex bathrooms, unis uh, locker rooms that are shared, uh, all these things have become to a head because of this sexual issue of identity. They're being litigated and legislated in various ways because of the way people have come to define themselves. Let, let me give you a picture of what's happened. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but let me give you just a real quick... It's, it hasn't happened in a vacuum, in other words. Back in the 18th century, there was uh, this movement called Romanticism or, or Sentimentalism. It was in literature, it was in art. Uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, uh, he was a famous uh, naturalist back in the 1800s. And he and his peers, they came to, they came to see society as corrupt in their art, in their music, in their writings... They're really frustrated by society and society's codes and society's way of teaching things. But when they looked, where, where do we find truth? They looked to nature. They, they looked to nature and they said, man, nature is pure. Nature is beautiful. Nature is, is, is wonderful. It, it, uh, how do we get back to nature? And so there's this movement, uh, philosoph philosophical movement within the arts, where they started th thinking, well, my feelings, that's from nature. What I feel, what I understand, that comes from, from how it's created. It doesn't come from society. Uh, and at the same time, there was this rejection that, uh, that humanity was fallen. There was this rejection that we were sinners that needed to be redeemed. Uh, and some went so far as we don't need to, we weren't made in the image of God. We weren't made in the likeness of God. There is no moral component tying us to God anymore. And so the, this, this, this whole idea started of, man, feelings are true. My heart is true. And so you hear it. I saw a movie the other day. It's like, 
the father went to the son and said, whatever you do, trust in your heart. Trust what it says to you. Don't believe what people say. That started back in the 1800s. Started way back farther than that. Right? The heart is deceitful above all things. It is beyond cure. Who can understand it? One of the prophets said way back when. But it's happening. So we, we went through that period. But then in the 1900s, as naturalism rose up, the Enlightenment came. We had <clears throat> guys called Karl Marx, uh, uh, Friedrich Nietzsche, uh, the different... The different Philosophers that they came from a, a worldview, Sigmund Freud, they came from a worldview that really rejected the idea of, of God in total. Is, is naturalism kind of replaced theism in, in certain parts of Europe? There's this, this whole idea like, well, there is no God, therefore we're not accountable to God. And Nietzsche went so far to say, like, the idea of morality is absurd. The idea of, of figuring out life is just absurd. You know, the, the former romantic uh, poets, I think, therefore I am. And, and then the Enlightenment came along and these philosophers were like, well, really, uh, what is truth? Where does truth come from in a world that has no morals? Now, society, like Marx, society imposes morals because the bourgeois, the, 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 those in power, the, the elites, they want to control you. They want to control you economically. They want to control you for their own ends and their own means. So society gives codes, but those codes are just made up. There is no ultimate authority. And so this movement called existentialism came along where you have to decide for yourself. You have to live this brave life and decide, even in this random, crazy a uh, world that has no meaning, that has no order, you have to decide for yourself how to live and where do you go for those directions. Well, the only place you can go is inside. The only place that can be authentic for you is your desires and your wants and your emotions and your feelings. Society will corrupt you. Society will, will use you these codes have to be broken. Freud went so far, he, he took it to the next level. Uh, his, his whole deal, it, it, I had to read some of his stuff in college, and it, it, it really kept coming back to sexuality. Like, humans are defined by our sexual desires. His whole, his whole theory was built on, the, the, his whole theories, the Oedipus complex and these different things were built on this idea that your desires sexually define you. Society limits us because if we allow our sexuality to just run rampant, you know, the, the powerful would take, overcome the weak and society fulfills a good role. But society's teaching about sex and sexuality is just man-made. Um, his, his, his deal, he went so far to say that, that this idea of what is a fulfilled life? What is a fulfill, fulfilling life? Fulfilling life is when I'm sexually fulfilled. Because I live off of my bodily function. I, I live based upon who I am, and I'm a sexual being. Uh, and so after him came along this whole encodement and this rejection of society. Well, if, uh, and if I'm a sexual being and I have these desires, since there's no God, uh, I should be allowed to exercise these desires. To limit my desires is morally wrong. And you see where this is going. 
in the absence of God, in the absence of nation, in the absence of everything else that used to define us, our identity, the trajectory, that the way it played out is, well, I guess my identity is all about what I want to do sexually. And so we saw in the 50s and 60s and the 70s how, hey, I was born that way. I should be able to live however I want because I was born with these attractions and with these desires. Uh, you can't call it wrong because I was born this way. And, you know, I, I say, well, I can call it wrong because uh, people are born with a propensity to alcoholism or born in their fallen nature propensity to violence. We don't encourage that, do we? We don't allow them to run free. But anyway... Through, through the generations as we've gone on, this, this drumbeat has become this thing like, wow, um, if I am defined by my sexuality, I need to be authentic. The only way I can be authentic if a society lets me live this way. And so um, that's where some of these, these massive changes, the LGBTQ movement, um, they, 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 they liked the idea that we would at some point tolerate them, but that wasn't enough because they wanted to be accepted. Because if, if their sexual ways of living are accepted, then they're, they're, they become authentic people in our sight. And so the, that's where this sort of the legislation and the battles started to come in. Uh, we, we saw those starting in the 90s and in the 2000s. The, the massive uh, petitions like outlawing uh, homosexual, you know, gay marriage and, and the, you know, don't ask, don't tell with Clinton and all these things. It all started with this grand push that we have to, if someone is authentically gay or they're authentically queer or if they're authentically uh, transgender, we have to give them the rights and that's where we are today. And the, the distinction is, is that in today, like your biological sex is not your gender, is, is, the, is what's being taught. And so I'm born, I'm born, just to bring it up to modern times right now, I'm born, uh, uh, say you're born a female, you got all the female parts. But that, that shouldn't define you because what defines you is not your biology. What defines you is your psychology. Your psychology trumps your biology. How you think becomes more important than your body. And so, uh, and so if I think that um, I should have 17 wives, or if I think that I should live sexually this way, it's up to society to give me the freedom to, because it's immoral, it's uncivil. My right is to live the way I've been made? No, that's not right. My right is to live how I feel about myself, my desires, my wants, my passions. My identity should be honored and respected. And uh, that's, the, that's the world your kids are growing up in. Um, I'm a six foot four man, and I like to swim. Um, I, 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 my gender says that, uh, my biology says I'm a man, but my gender says that I'm a, a female, so I should have the right to join the women's swim team. Are you going to be uncivil? Are you going to be unjust and not allow me to accomplish my true identity? Haters, bigots, that's the thinking today. That's what's coming across. We, as Christians, of course, we reject these ideas. We, we should tell our kids that uh, 
you don't, you don't have to figure out who you are because God tells you who you are. We teach our kids, you don't have to figure out your sexuality because your sexuality is the same as your gender. If you're born a girl, you're a girl in your sex, your biological sex, and in your gender. You don't have to figure out this world, you, you, know, who, who, you know, the chaos of it, because this is God's world. You don't have to figure out right and wrong because God's told us what's right and wrong. Uh, we, we teach our kids these things. But look at verse, verse 3. Um, he calls us to love. Paul, Paul says, man, teach them to love. We're, we're images of God. We're, made, we're in, created people, children of light, children of God. And so if we're related to God, if we're morally under God, if we're morally related to God, <clears throat> we should live like God. Imitate Him in all things. And that also means that we reject what God rejects. Verse 3, but sexual immorality... And all impurity or covetousness must not be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But uh, instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous, or is covetous that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Pause there again. So sexual immorality, as we explained last week, is it includes adultery is wrong. Uh, when you get married, if you sleep with someone who's married, if you have sexual relations with uh, outside of your marriage covenant, that's sin. That should never be a part of church. That should never be a part of, it shouldn't be heard of in the family of God. Sin outside of sexual relationships outside of marriage is sin whether it's heterosexual sex or homosexual sex or whatever, you know, all the different kinds of sexual practices today outside of, uh, outside of a marriage between a man and a woman, it's sin and it's wrong. Uh, fornication, some of your translations say, but uh, avoid all fornication. That's, that's uh, uh, heterosexual sex usually, uh, unmarried people, single people that are sleeping together. And so it means, hey, if you are... Uh, a girl here today, you got a boyfriend and you're sleeping with him, that's fornication. That's, that shouldn't be known if you're a Christian. Shouldn't be anything uh, even coming into your life that way if you're a Christian. And, and all the other um, things that go along with that that we talked about last week. All impurity or covetousness. These are words that uh, are hard to bring out. But uh, when you're teaching your kid, like, hey, uh, kid, you know, you, you, one day, as the kids get older, you've got to teach them certain things about their bodies, right? Should, shouldn't be, you be the one teaching them about anatomy? anatomy? Shouldn't you teach them um, about things like masturbation? Shouldn't you be teaching them things about uh, the, the things that come about in a kid's life? Uh, because if you don't, who's going to be your, their teachers? <laughs> their cell phone or their peers? And shouldn't you be teaching your kids uh, in, a, in a realm that's not filled with shame and embarrassment? Because if, if they hear these things from their, their peers, if they're taught these things by their peers, uh, they're going to be ashamed. It's going to be sinful and dirty and all these kind of things where God has made sex beautiful and part of his created purposes. So, so we teach here not only what's to avoid, what shouldn't be known among us, but hey, this is how the church is and this is who you are. 
God has made you sexual. He's giving you a body that's sexual. And one day, God wants you to use that in marriage. Because marriage, as we talked about week one and week two, marriage is a pointer to our intimacy with God. The final marriage. The ultimate marriage with God and the kingdom of God. Uh, we, we, we teach these things. But impurity and covetousness. Uh, these, these are things like uh, the things we read the things we watch on TV, the things that we let into our life. Um, so, for instance, if you're teaching your kids, and, and okay, you've taught them about sexual morality, but if they, they walk in on you and you're watching a movie on Netflix and there's people having sex in the movie, um, there's going to be a disconnect between what you've taught them and what they see. Because you can teach them, you can use a lot of words about how they should live sexually, but if you're living uh, by your behaviors, that you're allowing impurity into your life, into your family, into your house, uh, you know, there's going to be a disconnect and they're not going to take you at your word. So Paul goes farther and says, hey, among us, in the house of God, these things shouldn't even be heard. Impurity, covetousness, like, remember the Tenth Commandment, thou shalt not covet, like this greed, like this hunger for things. Um, it's just, it's just bad. And then he moves on, talks about no filthiness, nor foolish talk, or crude joking. Um, you know, uh, dirty talk, dirty jokes, um, how we talk about other people. Uh, this, this has no place in our lives because we are people of God. There's implications. Now that we're made in the image of God, we're called to love, we're called to serve, we're called to be godly. And so Paul's saying, so these things, when you're raising kids, when your grandkids are in your house, do they see uh, the connection? Do they see the integrity? Do they see the truth? being displayed by husbands and wives and by grandparents? Or do they see something that's different from what they're being told? Do they see you as a hypocrite? Or do they see you being a man and woman of integrity? You're teaching your kids every day whether you say a word or not. How are you living before your children? Uh, Paul says these things are out of bounds for us. And then, then, he, then he, the thing we teach our kids, man, we, we teach them about who they are. We teach them their anatomy. We teach them about how what happens is you go through puberty, you know, and we, we teach about their temptations. Uh, as, as you, get, you don't ever stop teaching as a parent, do you? See, some, some parents, they've punted. Well, our church has a youth pastor. I never have to talk about anything. Yes, you do. We, as parents, are called to disciple our kids. We're the trainers. We're the teachers. We're the educators. What they see in the home of origin goes and lasts the rest of their life. Are they seeing truth? Are they seeing righteousness? Are they seeing godliness? In verse 5, uh, so we teach them about forgiveness as well and about confessing sin. You may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral and pure, who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God, uh, what, what Paul's saying there, if someone is characterized by homosexual acts, is characterized by sexual immorality, sleeping around, if they're characterized by sin all the time, uh, that tells us that they're probably not saved, that they're lost. And so he's moving from imitate God to don't imitate these people. Don't imitate lost people. But your kid might say, you know, maybe your kid, you know, discovers their body and maybe they're 12 or 13 and they masturbate or something and they feel like, hey, what Paul said there, I'm lost. 
I'm so ashamed. I'm so guilty. I'm so evil. How could God ever accept me? So we teach our, our kids a godly sexuality. We, we teach them with the idea that, hey, none of us are perfect. <laughs> we're, we're all going to sin at some point. But when we sin, it's, it's not like God's redemption goes away or your salvation. You are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. It wasn't your works that saved you. It's not going to be your works that cast you out of the kingdom. And so what, what you teach your kids to do is live by grace. A godly sexuality is a grace-based sexuality. Yeah, you might mess up, you, 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 you know, maybe as an adult, maybe once in a while we mess up too. It could be. But is our, what is our salvation based on? And so we teach our kids, hey, when you sin, there's no one who doesn't sin, 1 John 1.8. 1, uh, when you sin, then what you do is, you, you're not lost, you're not, you're not condemned. God has already forgiven you, your past, present, and future sins. What you do is you confess your sins. You go and you get right with God again. So part of a godly sexuality is a confessional way of living and a turning to God, not running away, not hiding, not, not living in shame, but coming to God and, and bringing your stuff to Him and letting Him forgive you again and receive you again. And you teach that grace-based way of living, uh, it's much easier to live in this fallen, broken world of sexual, sexuality because we will, at some point, fall into sin ourselves. And so do we as parents project perfection or do we admit defeat as well? But what do we do with our sin? We go to God and we trust in the gospel. We live out the gospel, grace of God, but we ask for forgiveness and we receive forgiveness and love. Teach your kid that. There's so much more that uh, needs to be said here. But let's raise our kids to be godly in this sexual, uh, godless world and let them enjoy the fruit of a flourishing life not the pain of a sinful fallen broken life please stand in his presence the Lord God Almighty bless, uh, bless us as a church as we seek to raise children in you bless us as a community of faith as we love our, our, our friends kids and our, our fellow church members kids and we bless our own kids and our own grandkids give us the grace to be powerful teachers and leaders and uh, uh, give us the grace to show them how to live, Lord, to be those, those witnesses, to be those truth-tellers that are actually living it out. But uh, Lord, they're your kids, and so we turn them over to you today. Every kid that's in this room now, all the kids that are coming to second service, all the kids that are traveling today, we ask that you would uh, protect these kids. Lord, if these kids don't know you yet, we ask that you'd, bring, you'd convict them of sin, that you'd regenerate them, that you'd bring them to life. And uh, Lord, if some of these the parents here, Lord, we ask that if they've never taught, taught their kids or thought about discipling their kids or training their kids, that th this would be a new start, a new beginning of teaching them how to walk with you. Uh, may we see kids raised up, Lord, that uh, worship you and glorify you um, in word and deed and through their godly life. Thank you for your amazing grace, Lord. Thank you for saving sinners like us. May it continue again and again and again through this church. To your glory, to your honor, to your praise. Bless us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Go in peace. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, 
and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ, you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.